This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to metaphorically go in the attic, look through those old clothes, and dig out that outfit that you wore for your first communion, or your christening, or whatever it is, and see if it still fits. It probably won't, but you might need it tonight as we revisit 1996 Primal Fear. So... Get ready. Here we go. Primal Fear. Is that movie still good? Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, Nate. What's happening? Oh, not so much. How are you, Jim? I'm great. Um, ready to get into a little 1996 Primal Fear. Get into uh, an interesting movie from back in the day. Yeah, this, this one's pretty fascinating. Um, I, I think I only saw this one once. Me too. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw it again. You don't see it on TV a lot. Um, never owned it, and I loved it back then. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm real excited to to, to do this seven hour podcast about this movie tonight. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. It's not really gonna be seven hours. <laughs> well, it's funny because this is one that you suggested, and I had seen it once and liked it, but didn't didn't really remember a ton about it. Sort of the context and and what the big payoff is at the end of it. Um, but I knew you were kind of passionate about this one. And yeah, because I wanted to see it again because this really, you know, falls into our definition of why we did this podcast in the first place. I mean, if you're if you're a loyal listener, which we know you are, uh, a lot of the movies we've seen a few times since. Right, you right. originally seen them twenty years or so ago, and this one I have not. And so this one was a legitimate. I remember this movie being. I just loved it. I thought it was awesome. And so it really okay. Let's give it another watch. Mm-hmm. Does it hold up? How? You know, just, you know, top to bottom, it was the perfect fit for from my standpoint of, of why we do this podcast. I totally agree, and I, I thought it was a great rewatch. It was very fun to rewatch it, fun to think about it. This is a movie that, you know, 20 years, over 20 years down the road, has what is kind of an all-star cast. And at the time, probably wasn't quite so much the all-star cast. I mean, you had Richard Gere, who is a, a big name in Hollywood, but this is Ed Norton's breakout performance um, you had Laura Linney, who was when she was young. Um, you had John Mahoney, uh, who would Francis Frazier, McDormand. Yeah, Francis McDormand is in this. Uh, Andre Brower is in it. Uh, yep. Um, you know who I really love that's in this one is uh, is Terry O'Quinn, who, if you're a Lost yes. fan, Terry mm-hmm. O'Quinn played Locke on Lost, mm-hmm. and it took me a while to recognize him in this movie. He he had he was already balding, but he had very black hair, black mustache. Once I caught him, it was I got it. But it's you know it was not. Being a big Lost fan, it wasn't what I expected. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, great cast. And there's tons of just Hollywood career extras or, or character mm-hmm. actors. I don't even know who their names are. But, like, like but for example, recognize. like the criminal guy in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that you recognize. It's a lot of familiar faces here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, several different Academy Award nominees throughout this movie. Um, the woman who played the judge was nominated for Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Alfred Woodard. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, Alfred Woodard. Uh, yeah. She's yeah. very recognizable. Mm-hmm. You, would, you would know her if you saw her. Yeah, so it's, it's fully loaded cast. Um, I think also we're kind of in the – still in that courtroom drama era. Yeah. I think L.A. Law had probably ended by now. But you, you know, we had good, a uh, few good men a few years before this. So I've got a whole lot on this sort of a concept. So you want to get into that now or save it? Let's go ahead and jump into okay, it. Okay. So this is coming um, on the heels. This is kind of in the middle of that whole John Grisham phenomenon with lawyer movies, right? With the firm and the client, a time to kill, all of these great movies that Grisham made and this one. And it follows on the heels of movies that we saw throughout the eighties and before, you know, that were really good law courtroom dramas, Kramer versus Kramer and presumed innocent and the accused and even movies like my cousin Vinny. And you saw a ton of them. And it was, and even going back further, thinking about things like judgment at Nuremberg and to kill a mockingbird and, then it just sort of all dried up after you hit the turn of the, the century. And um, what was the last really good courtroom drama you saw? Well, this is probably in that top ten list of that. And here's why, Jim. This movie came out mm-hmm. six months after the O.J. Simpson verdict. Yeah. And I think we got courtroom fatigue. I, that's exactly what I think is the situation. I think the last best good courtroom drama is Michael Clayton with uh, George that's Clooney. That's a great movie. 
Um, I saw some other uh, stuff as I was researching that there's a lot of love for the Lincoln lawyer. I have to admit I didn't see that one, so I don't know. But I totally think it's courtroom fatigue, whether it be O.J. Simpson or whether it be the proliferation of cable law with, you know, court TV and tons of lawyer stuff on TV. Back then we had Judge Watner, um, and he was hard to find, but then, you know, you had all kinds of the little judge shows. You know, then you had the Menendez Menendez brothers, yeah. And then, you know, court court drama came from real life. Mm -hmm. It no longer came from fiction. And so I think that contributed to it as well. Yeah, I totally think that that we hit a fatigue with that, and it was not... You know, bankable Hollywood. Well, and the interesting thing was, I actually, um, my mom called, or I called her, I don't know, while I was watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, oh, yeah, I'd love, to, I, I'd love to see it again. And we were talking about it. And I said, you know, maybe I just don't like courtroom dramas. Because I was fatigued watching this movie in the courtroom. And at one point, I actually had in my notes, too much courtroom. Mm-hmm. Now, that did change a little bit as the movie went on. And we got more kind of behind, you know, outside the courtroom. Um, but even 20 years later, I, I kind of still feel the courtroom fatigue because guess what? We still get it in reality all the time. We do. We do. And I think that we are more, as a society, individuals are more savvy as far as what really happens in the courtroom. And, you know, back then these, these dramatized courtroom uh, scenes were interesting and we, we might have thought it could really happen or this is how it goes. That's what really happens. But in real life now, we all kind of know that reality is always better than fiction. <laughs> well, and in some ways, but also real court is tedious and kind of boring and not that sexy on most days. True, true. So do you, what's your favorite courtroom uh, drama, courtroom movie or, or movie with lawyers? I'll take any of them. 12 Angry Men. Okay. So that's really good. That's a great one. Um, I looked at – Though a lot of that was – you know, in chamber, not chambers, but to jury room. But that's okay. That's yep. all right. I, that, that's that's a top ten for yep. sure. I looked at IMDb's top courtroom movies, and okay. uh, number one was Judgment at Nuremberg, which is a great movie. And they I had, don't think I've ever seen that. It's a great one. It's it's about the um, uh, Nazi trial. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And uh, but they had was that a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Mel Brooks did it. Yeah, uh, starring, he, he could get away with starring it. Charlie Chaplin. Um, but uh, they had um, To Kill a Mockingbird was like number yeah, two. I mean, were, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird. The book's so much better than the movie. Though. Not that the movie's fantastic, is, but the book is. is so good. But it was, you know, and, and Twelve Angry Men was yeah. one of them. There were a whole, you know, and uh, Witness for the Prosecution. There were a whole bunch of them uh, before 1980. And then after 1980, number eight on their list was Primal Fear. Really? And I think it's wrong. I it's think totally that's wrong. totally wrong. Totally wrong. Uh, I mean, do you, like, well, Richard Gears, let's let's go and we'll, we'll come back and talk about the like actual, actual excuse me individual actors. But let's talk about the characters for a second. Okay. So we have we have Martin Vale. Yep. That's the Richard Gere character. Mm-hmm. Very arrogant. Very you know flamboyant defense attorney. You know. Um, we they overbuild this character where he's like you know oh you know it's none of my business whether they're guilty or not you know people deserve the best defense and noble in one degree but at the at the same point he's like on the cover of magazines he's driving the fast cars and you know he's also very much into himself narcissistic and all that and then on the other end you have Laura Lenny mm-hmm. who of course they create some stupid love interest which don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> Um, oh, come on, we know how you love a love story. Oh, that was I, I have several completely unnecessary parts of this movie, and this is one of them. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. But anyway, they're ex-lovers, and she works for the DA. Right. And so she's, of course, picked as the prosecuting attorney, mm-hmm. even though they know that they used to be lovers, which kind of was, once again, a stupid plot twist. But I'm sure it trickles back to the book. But um, but the Laura Linney, char- Linney character, and I, I typically like her. I think she's a great actress. She was so plastic and poorly, her dialogue was so poorly written, it was uh, it was almost unwatchable. So I agree with that 100%. And I generally like Laura Linney as an actress, and I felt like in this one... I, I, you knew you knew the whole time he was going to outsmart her. Of course. Well, and also, you know, I, I think if she had been a more warm and compelling character, I think that there, if they had more chemistry, I guess, between the two of them, it would have been better. I didn't think their chemistry was good. And also, like Laura Lenny traditionally doesn't play particularly warm characters. Right, and that's where I think they screwed up. And if it was in the book, it was probably better written. But something just did not connect. 
between the BNX lovers in the same courtroom over a case that also Marty Vial took pro bono. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because they, they spent the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie just kind of character building, you know, how he, like I said, like how he's this big, powerful attorney and she's with the DA and, you know, and her bosses, that's John Mahoney and, right. and, and, and uh, Terry, uh, the guy from Terry Lost. Terry O'Quinn, yeah. Yeah, Terry O'Quinn from Lost. And just kind of building this dynamic. And they take it maybe five minutes longer than it needs to be, but not the end of the world. Um, and then and then all of a sudden we see the Archbishop of Chicago mm-hmm. get brutally freaking murdered. Right. Uh, and, and then they, they're... Uh, uh, Alter Boy is arrested, and uh, Marty Richard Gere sees it on TV and immediately takes it as a pro bono case. Mm-hmm. And it's just the the build up between those characters; it just never really clicks. It never hits. You're it exactly never right. Hits, and and it's a problem with this movie throughout. Yes. So you're exactly right. And you know, I do we know really what Marty's motivation was to, for taking that pro bono, other than we heard Fame, him, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. So, one of my problems with this movie is, early on in the movie, we see Marty talking to this guy who's a reporter, who's doing some story on him. And this guy appears two or three times in the film, but that never goes anywhere. It's just total waste of time, except for maybe letting Marty um, talk a little bit. They meet in a bar one night when Marty's frustrated and, and drunk, and he tells him a bunch of stuff about his philosophies. But... I wonder if maybe the pro bono piece of that was Marty trying to do, you know, a, a good work for his for whatever this expose that the reporter was doing. But it was totally wasted. I, I, did you see any point to that reporter guy in the whole movie? Well, there, there were several plot lines that really had no point. The the whole thing with the archdiocese and the Catholic owning land and like you know uh, the the uh, DA losing money off of it, but yet then he's still his friend and supports didn't make a lick of sense. And just here's my here's my theory on it. I mean, I might actually go buy this book. I think that they tried to force too much from the book into this movie, and I think it took it off track a little bit. I think that's right. I'm I'm actually okay with the archdiocese and the land and the uh, John Mahoney character. I, I'm I'm actually kind of okay with that because I think that does tie in a little bit with you know some of the dynamics there. But then you've got. Um, Marty's other clients who are mobsters. That makes no sense. It, there's no tie-in. Like, what and is the And then when the they point? find his dead body at the end, was that like a signal that Shaughnessy, the DA, like was sending him? I, that, who I, knows? I, I don't... I they like, don't what? tell us. I was like, what's going what on? What the hell was that? <laughs> makes no sense. Now, I, before we before we lose track of this, I do want to mention that the, the book that this is based on, it was called Primal Fear, and it was written by a guy named William Dial, who also wrote Sharky's Machine. Who oh, we, yeah. We talked that's about a good before. one. Now, Primal Fear was actually part of a three-book series. Primal Fear was the first book in 93. Of course, the movie came out in 96, as Jim mentioned earlier. Then another book called Show of Evil in 95 and Rain in Hell in 97. I would, And it's based on Marty Vale mm-hmm. and then Aaron Stampler, who's the Ed Norton character that uh-huh. we'll be talking about here shortly. I might actually go back and check that out. I, 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 I think it could be an interesting I, I think it could. I, well, I definitely think that Primal Fear could be a good read. It, like you said. And, and I think the second flesh. book picks up like 10 years later. Uh-huh. Like once, once, once Stampler's out of the mental hospital. Right, right. So, you know, and, and if you're, if you're a big reader and you like this movie, you know, I don't know, maybe, I, I can't, I can't tell you it's any good. I haven't done it yet, but you know, hey, there's some, something to think about. So, um, while we're talking about Richard Gere and Marty Vale, um, one of the interesting things about this movie is Richard Gere and his character in this movie, Marty Vale, is very, very similar to the character that he played in Chicago, which was a smarmy lawyer who will do whatever he's got to do, do to get his client off. You know, he's just in it. And so that, that theme kind of runs because, you know, you've got uh, Ed Norton, who is – this is the – this is one of three films that he's in where, spoiler alert, um, these are, again, you're going to get spoilers in this. Um, but this is one of three movies that he's been in where he's had multiple personalities. Because right. he did this one, he did Fight Club, and he did Hulk. So yep. there's some overlapping character situations going on here, too. Now, Richard Gere had done Internal Affairs before this, mm-hmm. which I, I forget what his role was, but it was a legal thriller. But he didn't do Chicago until almost 15 years later. And, of course, right. this was the first movie ever for Edward Norton. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, which which that's what I think when I, when I think back about the first time I saw this movie, I knew who Richard Gere was. I've never been a big Richard Gere fan. We can talk about that later. We'll, we'll get into why. why and, yeah. And, um, but... Um, I didn't know. Who, I didn't even know who Edward Norton was. This is a breakout. This is where this is where you, you know, get to see. And, and, and it's and 
so when he went in, so th- this role, over 2,000 people auditioned for the role yes. of Aaron, um, including Matt Damon, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, did you run across this story? I, I don't know the story. I know he auditioned. Yeah, Matt Damon auditioned for this, and there's actually a lot of Matt Damon, Edward Norton connections that, that we might get into on this one. Um, Matt Damon did not get the role, and he had been turned down for some big roles leading up to this point, and at this point he had gotten so frustrated that he could not get a breakthrough role. Guess what he decided to do? Right. Call up his buddy Ben and write up write a write a screenplay and write and write yeah. right, Goodwill Honey yeah to where he that can makes be sense. in it makes yeah. total sense well well um, originally this was pitched to Leonardo DiCaprio and he turned it down the studio wanted DiCaprio they wanted that that was who everybody wanted everybody to, wanted DiCaprio all the money people wanted DiCaprio and, and, and I love DiCaprio he is by far and away the best actor of our generation if you, if you don't count Daniel Day Lewis in our generation and I know I've said that before but I think Edward Norton did better than I, anything I would expect. Leo to do well. I yeah, I think he did it differently, but I think the movie could have been great with Leo. But I mean, it, this this young actor who you've never seen before coming in and delivering that performance is really really strong. So you know what he did at the audition? What did he do at the audition? He came in. So little open it up for you a little bit more if you don't remember this movie. You know, he plays a dual personality. You know, you remember the soft spoken with the stutter, mm-hmm. and he's from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Why, do, why do they always pick on Kentucky? I don't know. Do you I, know anybody in Kentucky with a stutter? Not that uh, stutters are bad, but I know a couple. But <laughs> but, but, I, but, but why? Yeah. Anyway, so we got stereotyped again. Dumb well, Kentucky I, and I kept picking apart the accent. I was like, "Is this really a Kentucky accent?" I'm not sure. It wasn't a it's, Kentucky accent. Uh, at all. I don't think it is. But I'm gonna. It's yeah. It's not a good Kentucky accent. No, not at all. And he doesn't mention bur- bourbon once. No. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's a dual personality. He comes in. Uh, as Aaron, who's the soft-spoken one, right out of the gate in the audition. And during, like, not, not hey, I'm Ed Norton or mm-hmm. I went to school here. Just comes right in acting that character and flips to Roy, the alter ego, mm-hmm. in the middle of it. Never shows his real self during, wow. the, during the audition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and he added the stutter. The stutter wasn't written in. He The stutter was right. totally his. But he brought his. it into the he audition. Brought it in. Yeah, the yeah. stutter was totally his. Yeah. So, which is just, once again, I think, you know, it, it just kind of goes to show that this guy was ready to break through. Yeah, and, and he got an Oscar nomination for this. He won the Golden Globe for this role. Um, he's been nominated um, three times. Yeah, he got nominated for this one for um, supporting, um, he got Amer- American History X. American History X and, and Birdman. Birdman, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the only one he actually won was this one. But yeah, he won a Golden Globe for this one, yeah. So now, is, this, is, is, this, is, is this your favorite Ed Norton movie? Um, because I mean, we got Rounders, we got Fight Club. Yeah, he was in People versus Larry Flint, which I don't remember Larry that. No, but he was in um, he was in Red Dragon, the he Illusionist, was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Um. So this is high up. I do like Fight Club an awful lot. That's a cliche to say, but I do like Fight Club an awful yeah, lot. Yeah, that's my second one. I think. Yeah, but uh, this is probably probably my favorite one of his. Oh, this is my third probably. Is your what's your first one? Is it American History X? Yeah, I think his portrayal in American History X was just incredible. Um, and, and here's an interesting thing about that is he actually turned down. Here's another Matt Damon connection. He turned down playing Private Ryan and saving oh, Private Ryan to do X to do American History X. Yeah. He put on like thirty pounds of muscle, like just milkshakes and whatever yeah. you do to do that. I, it never he he is absolutely great in that. But I've only seen that one. Once. But I saw when I was doing the research, I saw the thing that he he went from uh, being in a movie where he'd be killing Nazis to be in a movie where he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's I, I think that's American History X. I think is. Uh, it's not a feel-good movie. No, no. But I – and I haven't watched it in a long time, but especially in today's environment of just how certain mm-hmm. pockets of society yeah. get a little more attention than they have historically, I think it would be an interesting movie to get a little bit more exposure to show that it's not all what it seems. Yeah. Do you think that movie could get to the screen today if somebody pitched it? No. I don't either. I don't either. Nope. But I think That's it's good. But yeah. I, but I, I don't I mean, think you can make it. I, 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 and maybe it should be re-released then. I don't know. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. But he's you know Norton. He also has this reputation for just being a jackhole. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he'll come in, he'll rewrite scripts. In American History X, he like uh, re-edited the, like half the movie or the whole movie. Right. He, you know, he's not a fun person to work 
with. I can't believe in this in this movie. Um, there's a ton of sequences of Laura Linney smoking, and Edward Norton. You know the the scene where he hits, he goes into Roy, and he slams Richard Gere into the wall, and turns into Roy, and then he's asking Roy or asking um, Marty for a cigarette, and 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 he is a staunch anti. Right. Tobacco guy, like he, you're not smoking around him. So it's yeah, I, I, like if this movie was made five years later, they probably cut Laura Linney's smoke scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, his original character in Rounders was supposed to be a smoker, mm-hmm. and he said, and they rewrote the character to yeah, not be a smoker right. so because he would not go. do it. Yeah, you know, and and not saying that that makes him a jerk. I mean, but no, but it's but it it shows the power that he has within you know the project. And, uh, and and this was the first movie he didn't have it because he was new. He, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you were told. And he and and it could be. You know, I mean, like what what's he care? Like what two guys from Kentucky say about it? You know, about him on a podcast. But you know, maybe there's sometimes you might have wanted to listen to the director a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And and if nothing else, just to like explore. I mean, even the most narcissistic person should listen to other people once in a while to just take them out of their comfort mm-hmm. zone because that's where you learn, that's where you grow, you, and try new things that you never thought that, number one, you would want to try, and number two, that you were capable of trying. Well, and I think that if you look at his career, that might explain, you know, he's had gr- some great movies and some great roles, but he hasn't had the career that a guy like DiCaprio has had, no. where it's just been domination one after another and one after another and so if you were unwilling to take that on then it would probably limit you in terms of the roles that you get the people that want to work for you with you and then and maybe the things that you want to do or are willing to do yeah i forget which movie it was and it wasn't oceans 11 but it was a movie kind of like that where it was like a big you know kind of big cast a lot Mm -hmm. of people involved um and, and i read that somebody brought up edward norton being perfect for this role and somebody in, in that was involved with the project said he won't work with other people well. He won't play with others. Mm-hmm. So no way. And it's interesting because I kind of have the, the same opinion about Richard Gere. Mm. How many movies has Richard Gere been in where you've had like a, a big support cast with a lot of stars? Yeah. Um, not many. Chicago is one of them. Yeah. Uh, but, but not many. But I also I, – I also here's a hot take. Maybe Richard Gere's not that good. Yeah, well, I've, I've never been impressed by him. And, I mean, if we, you know, go back and look at what he's done, um, Officer and a Gentleman, right. Pretty I Woman. I never really saw I remember it being popular, but I don't, honestly, I never saw it. Right. It was 82. So, I was nine years old. So, I've seen clips of it. So, he won a Golden Globe for Chicago. Yeah. He's been nominated for three other uh, movies as a Golden Globe. Never had an Oscar nomination. His big movies are Officer and a Gentleman, Pretty Woman, Chicago, Unfaithful, and then you get into – and those are all stuff that you – know, First Night with Sean Connery. Those are movies that most people can kind of watch. But then he drifts into this lane King where, David. where he's um, – Which actually I saw King David at the theater. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I, I actually thought it was good because I like biblical stories, but I, he won a Razzie for that one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. nice. Um, but then he gets into this lane where he's making movies that are – I would say are, are – geared towards a female audience because he's a handsome man and he's charming. He's the most sexiest man in the world, right. 1991. Yeah, there. <laughs> so, you know, then People he's doing Runaway Bride and Dr. T and the Women and Knights and Rodanthe and stuff that we would never have seen unless, you know, we're with our lady friend at the time. You know, with your, what, What's your favorite movie of his? You haven't mentioned mine yet. Um, and, and really, my list is very short. I don't know. Uh, I, I really like the Mothman prophecies. Okay, yeah. about the bridge yeah. in West Virginia, yeah, 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 Ohio. Yeah, 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 I, I yeah that's that a was, good one. I just thought it was a really cool story. So I, I would say I, I like this one, and I, I actually do like Chicago. I know you hate musicals, but I like Chicago. I never saw it. Um, and uh, otherwise, that's that's it. Like people really, really liked Unfaithful. That was that had a lot of. Was that the one with Hugo and, the, and, and, and Vigo Mortensen Vigo, Vigo, and Vigo. Diane Lane? Yeah, I, I remember that one. I liked it. It was just a little too intense for me at that moment. It the was time. too intense, and there was just this. I don't know. I, I I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on this, but there was it, the way that it struck people was a little uncomfortable to me. Well, and here's the thing about about gear is he just he just kind of has this look on his face and this demeanor whether he whether it's a character like marty vale where he's purposefully being um arrogant 
and all about himself, or it's you know a movie like um, Unfaithful. Yeah, Unfaithful. You know, to where he's kind of being taken advantage of. He just he he just doesn't resonate with me as a real person. I agree. I hundred percent agree. Like right. I, like one of the great one of the things I love about movies. One of the things that I passionately love and have always loved is watching a movie, picking a character that speaks to me and saying. This is who I identify with in this film. I've never watched a Richard Gere movie and thought, I identify with him. This is a guy that is like me or thinks like me or I want to be like. None of that ever happens. Right. Has ever happened. Right, right. And and, and and pretty much every other actor, at least in some picture, I can associate myself with them. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I mean, but, and, you know, we're beating up on the actors a little bit, but it's it's not... You know, the movie does have some redeeming quality. Um, you know, Vale believes that, that Stampler, you know, Richard Gere believes that um, the uh, Edward Norton character is innocent, that he didn't murder the priest and gets to know him. And, you know, you have this, you know, courtroom drama thing that starts up. Um, and he and he believes in him far more than any cynical defense attorney ever should or would. I really even remember when I saw this movie 20 years ago not believing him. Right. And and he's supposed to be like the best defense attorney in town. And I don't care if you're innocent or not, but he, he keeps he, he does. cutting too him slack faith. and giving him, giving him faith. faith. And I feel like you're not telling me something, and but just keep going right on. Just plow right on through. Yeah, and, and what eventually happens is, uh, once again, um, yeah, uh, you know, Richard Gere, he's, you know, he has this power law firm, right? And we, t- when we talked earlier about, you know, some of the characters that were in this movie. and He's got this power law firm, but that's an awfully humble office for his power law firm. It is, it is. But Andre Brower is kind of his, like, muscle ex-cop yeah, that, that yeah. you know, does investigation behind the scenes. And, and Andre Brower uh, breaks in into uh, Aaron's apartment, Aaron Stampler's apartment, that Norton character, I mean, just looking for stuff to, mm-hmm. to see if he can, like, prove that he's innocent. And there's another guy in there. They fight. You know, it, brutal earring earring rip. That is just that's always tough. Oy. Always tough earring. But if I'm in a fight and they have an earring, I yep. I, I, and it's out. a dangler. It's a dangler. I, that, I might I might I might die, but that earring's coming out. That's right. Like, I will I will die with that earring in my hand. Yeah. But anyway, we skip a we skip a little bit for, further into the movie, and they. Track this guy down, and they find out that so, apparently. Go ahead. Oh, no, you well, when they track this guy down, the guy that he pulled the earring out, yeah. we get one of the um, required tropes for '90s lawyers movies, which is lawyers in suits running after somebody. You that has to happen in every. I was just movie. sitting there the whole time during that scene, and it's way too long. Going, there's no way that this rich lawyer is is like. Running, he's and he's outrunning, you know his. Out, yes, yeah. he's outrunning Andre Brower, and they catch and, up to the kid, and he's got on some hard sole wingtips, and this, yeah, he's there's like, no some, way, some, like Johnson but, and Murphy, yeah. like. But you had to have this in every '90s lawyer yeah. movie, right? Right, and, they, and and they also they they always chase him through. Somehow they start like in like the city, like you know, kind of like in a somewhat decent area, but it's still in the city, and end up in the ghetto in like three blocks. Yeah, well, they end up in <laughs> underground Chicago, yeah, like yeah. where Michigan Avenue, or whatever, yeah. under underground, and yeah. then they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they eventually catch up with the the guy, and they find out that apparently the priest or the archbishop, he was more than a priest. Had been had a sex tape mm-hmm. with uh, the guy they chased down. Yep, with uh, Norton's character Aaron, and then some and gal Linda. Linda. Hey Linda, what's up? Hey. <laughs> also, also, if you were 20, 19, 18, 17 years old in nineteen ninety six, how many people named Linda did you know? I don't know anybody in my age demographic named Linda. No, it, it had fallen off the uh, top ten uh, female name charts by then. I oh, believe. way way yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you know, maybe she was a Linda Jr. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but uh, so now, all of a sudden, Marty Vale's really upset because up until this point, all we have seen out of the out of the Ed, Ed Norton character is is simple Aaron, and I'm going to call him simple Aaron. Okay, and that's that, good. Be simple. They're like, well, who was the character in Tropic Thunder? Simple Jack. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. So, I think so, that's right. So, so we're just—it's kind of like Simple Jack. We have Simple Aaron, and that's all we've seen out of uh, Ed Norton so far. So, so Richard Gere, Marty Vale confronts him in the in the cell that he's being held at while on trial, and it's like, "You lied to me. You know, I can't trust you. You got to be able to trust me if I'm going to defend you." And he pulls a bunch of his lawyer crap on him. 
And so simple Aaron like turns into now. Now, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is by now already simple Aaron is being psychologically evaluated. Right. By Francis Francis McDormand's character. Yes. Yes. Right. And so she set up a tape and she's um, interviewing him, talking to him, trying to get stuff out of him. And one of the we see a real quick glimpse of Roy um, as she's doing the tape and then the battery's about, she ends up turning the camera off for a minute and he comes at her and lashes at her, not comes at her, but he lashes at her verbally for a quick moment with intensity in his eyes. And then he goes right back to simple Aaron. Yeah. And, and then, but then, then we have the scene where Vale comes in and confronts him over the sex tape. Right. And he pushes him and he pushes him and he pushes him and simple Aaron turns into Roy. Right. And now this is our first real look at Roy. Yeah, now it's on. And I will tell you, as as bad, and like I say, bad. It's not nothing in this movie is bad. Just some things are just not good. Mm-hmm. But as 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 many valleys that you have to march through, mm-hmm. when you get to like Ed Norton flipping from Simple Aaron to Roy, it's worth it. It is totally worth <laughs> it. It is, it is totally worth awesome. it. It is really good. It is really it's, good for, I don't know how old Edward Nor- Ed Norton was at the time, but for a guy in his first movie ever, it was That's the best great. scene in the movie, right? Well, close, because, but every best scene in the movie is when he's Roy. Right. I still think this one's better than the... The end, even? I, well... I, it's it is, not better than the end. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that's that, and that's what does make this movie worth watching. Is it's like you know, when you get to those scenes where he does Roy, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's you know that's kind of what happens here, and and then you then you're kind of sucked back in again, right? But I mean it's you know it's and I think also with this movie too, this is one of the things I noticed, and we haven't been talking about this as much on the podcast as we have. Uh, or we had early on in season one is one thing that I really captured with this one was the score. Yes. And this is James Newton Howard again. And we covered him with unbreakable uh, earlier Mm -hmm. in the first season season. And he's a great accomplished um, composer and has done some great movies and the score in this is excellent. It's, it's exactly what you want it to be in a movie like this in that it's not overly dramatic. Like it's not Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's it accentuates what's going on, but it doesn't it call attention to itself. It's again, it's a good umpire, right? Exactly. It's not John Williams, but it, it keeps it keeps some flow going in the background. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the director for a minute. Um, his name is Gregory Hoblet. Uh, he's done a few movies, not a lot, not a, not a prolific film director. He did this one. Um, he did Fallen with Denzel, which is. Really good. Yeah, maybe John Goodman was in that. Yeah, uh, Hearts War with Bruce Willis. Yeah. But predominantly, he's done stuff on the small screen. He's directed um, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue. He did an episode of The Americans, and probably the best thing on his resume is he did direct a couple of episodes of Cop Rock. And if you've never seen Cop Rock, find it. It's horrible and brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a joy to watch. Yes, um, but you know he's an interesting guy, and he's kind of in. As you can see through his filmography, he's very interested in police and law enforcement. And one of his great quotes is that cops embody the best and worst of us. And that's kind of what he does in a lot of his movies. Now, not really so much here, but you do see that a little bit with Richard Gere as a guy who is kind of smarmy, but also is, um, you think he's got some sort of a principle as he's trying to defend this guy that he ultimately thinks is is uh, innocent. Well, and same thing with like the DA and like yeah. the other attorneys. It's like it, he, he does a good job creating contrast within characters. Yes. Um, and, and this was also his first his major first big, one. big yep. one, you know, both him and Ed Norton, you know, this, this is kind of their first ship, you know, shot at, mm-hmm. at, at making a career out of it. And they both were fairly successful. Yeah, no, I agree. And I don't know if you noticed, but the police station that he used mm-hmm. in this film where, where, um, uh, Richard Gere goes to interview Ed Norton the first time or whatever. It's the same facade that was used for Hill Street Blues. Now, did you watch Hill Street Blues as a kid? Have we talked about this before? We, we haven't talked about it much. I, I watched some of it. My parents watched it, and uh, you know, I was young, and it was coming on probably about bedtime. But I watched it some. Oh no, this was this was a staple because this was part of that Thursday night lineup where yeah. you had Family Ties, mm-hmm. Night Court, Cosby, and Cheers, mm-hmm. and then you had Hill Street Blues to wrap it right, up. And right. then when that went off there, you got LA Law. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this was this was pretty much you know Thursday night TV pre Seinfeld pre Friends. This is kind of where it all started. 
um, uh, with these type of drama shows wrapping it up. And uh, yeah, we would we would sit around and watch them all together. And and of course, NYPD Blue. I was out of the house by then. Yeah. But I that was one I rarely missed as well. That, that was a great show. Andy Sibolitz. Yeah. Oh, just, they're just, they're when just, was the last time we had a character like? that on tv i not on network no not on yeah on network tv even with all the cable stuff now yeah that that you could have more expressive more i don't want to say vulgar but more uh yeah he's just a top-notch character at prime time tv absolutely yeah anyway anyway he has nothing to do with this movie no <laughs> but no no but there's like a connection a six degrees yeah. type thing going on yeah 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 so yeah and, and i mean you know and, and i like that about Hoblet is that, you know, he found something that he liked to do in the industry that he could make money at. Not everybody that goes into the industry is trying to be like the next Spielberg or the next superstar, or, you know, Tom Hanks. And, you know, a lot of people just want to be a part of it because they mm-hmm. enjoy the, 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 the artistic part, or maybe they enjoy the process of making something and editing it and getting it, you know, done. Maybe they like how a script translates into what's in front of the camera. So to be able to find a niche mm-hmm. where you can make a good living at it, which I'm sure he has. I'm sure. I'm sure. No doubt. You know, it's good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And we see this with other directors, right? Like we see directors kind of jump in this lane or do movies that are sort of similar. Like how many gang-related movies has Scorsese done? Several. Yeah. And and you know, been very successful at it. I also I do think that the Similar to the lawyer drama, the cop drama, you know, it's fallen out of favor a little bit. And so, you know, as we, again, got to the turn of the century, that, that type of movie, um, it, it, I don't think there was the interest or the, well, the desire it's for it. Every, like what we've talked about before, yeah. it's all action heroes. Uh-huh. You know, it's all action heroes. And, th- and this movie did well. I mean, they, they made it for $30 million. They got one one oh three out of it. Yeah. That's a good pull. Yeah, yeah. So it did, it did just fine. It, yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of people that still, you know, researching this movie, there's still a lot of respect for it, but also a lot of panning of it. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think it's being remembered how it should be remembered. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so so and here's kind of how the movie, like, starts to kind of build towards its uh, climax and finale, which is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if I had my choice, and I don't know about you. If you had to take a movie that was weak in the beginning but built towards a good ending, mm-hmm. which is really hard to stick with, yes, or a movie that was strong in the beginning and just kind of yeah, kind of simmered out, what's your preference? Um, I would like a movie that builds towards a good finish. I would like to see a finish that is rewarding to me because I, I've said it before. One of the hardest things I think in writing and directing and putting it all together is making a fulfilling ending and, and driving it to an ending that is good. And I think the ending of this one is really good. Yeah, and, and what happens, you know, um, obviously Francis McDermott, the German, the uh, psychiatrist here, you know, diagnosed Aaron with you know, having split personalities or, you know, identity disorder or whatever the prognosis was. But they get back into the courtroom. You know, we've had the sex tape situation. Um and, and Vale had sent the sex tape off to Laura Lenny's character, Janet, whatever her name was. And so you kind of had, once again, about 15 to 20 minutes of just kind of wasted scenes between, like, who's going to show the sex tape? Because if, if, if Marty Vale shows the sex tape, it gives it shows that he was um, abused. Mm-hmm. But it also gives him motive. motive. It, you right. know, so, which was like, you know, a clever little twist. I thought that was a really good twist. And I think the idea that... Uh, you know, when they find the sex tape and, and he looks at Andre Brower and he's like, all right, I'll do it. So basically he goes and makes dubbed copies of all these and then he drops them at the doorstep of all the um, prosecuting team's uh, homes. Yeah, and, and Janet, you know, calls Vale out and they, they actually go have a quick drink at a bar and she she's up to what he's doing. She knows, like, his play. And the funny thing was Shaughnessy, the John Mahoney character. So John Mahoney, we, we haven't really talked much about him. He's, uh, you know, the, the DA. Right. And we talked about, like, the conflict that he had lost money with archdiocese and the land deals and kind of that, whatever that subplot was that Jim was okay with that I did not like. But um, – and a reminder again, this was the dad on Frasier. Yes. So so this is kind of funny. And, you know, total, like, thing you run across when, you're, when we research this pod that just kind of made me literally laugh out loud. He was actually on Cheers in 1992. 
Like just as a you know, just, just as a, just on one episode. Uh, I or... forget the name of the episode. It was yeah. like a Cliff Clavin Postman right, episode right, or something right, like that. Right. But he was actually on Cheers in '92, and I'm pretty sure Fraser Crane had been on Cheers by then. Yeah, but he was not Fraser's dad. Huh. But then he gets he gets the role yeah. as Fraser's dad on right, Fraser. Right. So and and didn't we just do Fraser's little brother like a week or two ago? Yeah, or a, yes, a, a episode ago. Yes, yeah, we yeah. did. We we did uh, because he was He's in a Fisher uh, King. Buddy. Fisher King. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we've covered like we uh, now. Can is there a Kelsey Grammer movie that we could do? Uh, not, so we can just knock out Fraser what here. Was that, what, what was that horrible one? Down Periscope? Was that the <laughs> yeah, one he was in? He's like a military yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, we're not doing that, kids. <laughs> we're not doing, we're that, not doing that. We know that movie's not good. No. It never was good. That movie still good does not apply in that situation. Yep. So we will not complete the Fraser trifecta. I think is where we've correct we, we, what we've gotten to. Correct. You know. All right. Well, then we need to move on. Um, so basically, we're back in the courtroom, and um, Vale calls Aaron to the stand. Well, and before this. Uh, Janet, Laura Lenny's character, takes the tape to Shanice, whatever his yeah. name is, the Fraser Dad yeah, character, sure, and yeah. he's like, "Do he got a copy too. Right. And he's like, do not submit this. Right, right. case, or whatever the formal legal term is. Um, but anywho, she does. Yes. All right? But... She goes rogue in the courtroom, basically. She goes rogue in the courtroom, and so Vale calls Aaron to the stand, which it's been questionable whether he was going to do that or not. Mm-hmm. So, so he calls... Um, you know, simple Aaron to the stand. Quickly, just just a quick sidebar on yeah. this. There's a scene in one of the courtrooms where the judge walks in holding a glass of iced tea. Did you notice that? And she, like, walks in and she just sets her iced tea down. And, I mean, I don't know if that really happens, but all right. I, I, you know, this is my this might be one of my problems with courtroom drama. And, and here's just some total sidebar is, so, like, the TV shows that I watch while I'm working from home every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, it's in another room, but I can hear it. Mm-hmm. So like I'm watching the news in the morning, and then they like um, I switched over to like Price is Right, let's make a deal, all that kind of stuff. And it does the news, and then like early in the afternoon, it switches to Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you listen to that? Episode? I have to turn it off within ten minutes. Yeah, it's like I'm like if I'm on a call, I'm like, can you hold on one second? And I have to go switch it. I do not understand the pretension. Pretentiousness? Pretentious. Pretentiousness. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I have trouble pronouncing big words with more than three syllables because I'm from Kentucky. Um, of judges. Yeah, I, I think that for those of us not in the legal profession, that's a thing. Like, I've watched these things, and it, it's a hard one for me to swallow sometimes, too. What, both in real life and in fiction. Yeah. It's like, it's like I, I get it, you're a judge, I get it, you're an elected official, but it's like, oh, you can't do this in my courtroom. Right, right. Like if I said, like, like if people were in my backyard arguing in a barbecue and I was like, you can't do this in my backyard. Right. I'd be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? So I don't know. That's just, like I said, complete, uh, complete, you know, out of left field there. Um, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand um, the power that, that they get out of whatever their role is in life. Yeah. Well, I appreciated her iced tea and I also appreciated the amount of liquor that she drank in her chambers because she does. that was impressive. Yes, yeah. She she was not afraid to you know down a little throw it down. I, I'm guessing that was Scotch too. Yeah, probably so. I, I don't think it was a spritzer. Sh- Chicago in the '90s, that was Scotch. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, but to your point, like we're we're getting towards the end, and he's called um, Aaron to the stand. Right, and he, and he's actually Marty Vale is actually trying to get Roy out of him. Yes. He's like in, you know, going up to him and kind of whispering things that he thought would provoke him, but but no, no, no. He stands, he stands simple Aaron mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, and Marty doesn't really get what he wants. So then cross exam comes, right. and you know what's coming, yeah, and you know she's going to give it to him because she's a hard ass, and she is, she has to win this case to keep her job basically. So she's going at him with everything she's got, right? And guess what happens? Roy shows up. Roy shows up, leaps over the. He leaps. He leaps over over the stand. He goes. He grabs her by grabs the throat, her by the neck, and gets her in a headlock. I can break her neck. I can, you know, and just the like cops have to like beat him down to get off. You know, another great scene because Roy's there. Right, and kudos to the director, the writer, everybody about this because that scene was great. And it was over really quickly. Right. He did right. not have leverage. It, in real life, the bailiffs would have swarmed. It would have been over. And that's exactly what happened. Right. Right. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you there. They did not stretch the scene out any longer than it would have been it realistically. Yes. So then he gets pulled away. Next thing you know, Judge is calling uh, both Laura Lenny and Richard Geary in the chambers. 
Pours a couple drinks. Richard Gear passes on his drink. Nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy my own. I do not want your cheap scotch. <laughs> exactly. And she puts the two together. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna take your portion. Then, <laughs> I'm gonna take your portion. Uh, and then pretty much tells them because one thing that we did not mention earlier, they, there had been a lot of conversations between the shrink, Francis McDormand, that you know, hey, very early on, can we get an insanity plea? But they were too far in the case where they 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 had already put the plea out or whatever. I don't know. Right. I don't know how it works in there. But they couldn't change from a not guilty plea to a insane, you know, right. not guilty that, by insanity plea. Correct. Correct. Procedural but, issues. Procedural issues. Um, it's in that one book, third from the left on the second right. shelf that all look the same. Yes. It's in there somewhere. But anyway, so the judge, but the judge tells them, you know, do we mistrial? Do we, what, you know, what do we do here? And basically the judge makes the decision that um, she's going to dismiss the jury and do what's called a bench, bench trial, bench bench trial, which essentially means that she's going to take it over and rule him not guilty due to insanity. She's going to send him to an institution for evaluation, and basically, as they say, he's going to be out in thirty days. Yeah, and and this is kind of like a very interesting part of this movie is that happens. The judge leaves the chamber. And of course, Laura Linney's like, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I've lost the case. I've lost my job. My career's over. And, and what does Richard Gere do? Well, okay. <laughs> what does Richard Gere do? Hey, girl. <laughs> What's up, baby? Hey, girl. What's up? And, and <laughs> he another totally like, gets behind her and like, yeah, whispers in her ear. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, like, this is what makes people think lawyers are so weird. And like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> But also with that scene, like one of the great parts of the scene is like as soon as Laura Laney walks in, she starts getting her cigarette out and the judge says, don't you even think about lighting that up in my chambers. And so as soon as the judge walks out, she fires one up and then Richard Gere's all like rubbing up behind her like – you know, he's snuggling up to her butt, probably. It's, oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's just silly. Yeah, it, it is, is silly. T- totally silly. And once again, it goes back to cr- trying to create some love interest that's completely unnecessary for the story because the history of story writing says you have to have a love interest. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, Vale goes to see Aaron in the cell. Yes. To, to deliver the good the news. The good news. The good news. You are not going to jail for murder. Mm-hmm. You are not going to get the death penalty and be executed. You are going to be ruled um, insane, not guilty, guilty for a, by mental illness, and, and and you're going to, like you said, do you know go to a mental hospital and get you'll the be treatment at, that you need. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then we get what I would probably say, and I thought a lot about this. I gotta, I really can't push it out of my top five, like I best endings of all time. Mm. Just like completely, I remember it to the day, not to mm-hmm. the day, but I remember it specifically when I saw this movie the first time because I had no clue right. what was about to happen next. And it, it, I knew everything that was going to happen this time, and I probably even enjoyed it more. Aaron could have just let it go. Aaron Roy could have just let it go, could have walked out the door. And he's Simple Roy, playing Sim- Simple Roy right yes. now. Uh, and, and well, he's Simple Aaron. And or Simple Aaron. Simple sorry, Aaron, sorry, yeah. Sorry, sorry. And so he, they're talking about something, and... Um, he throws in some detail. What was well, the deal? He, well, he, he was getting ready. To, Marty was getting ready to leave. Simple Aaron was just like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my but, life. I'm glad I listened to you. I knew I could trust y'all." But in the conversation, he throws then, something in. But then, as Richard Gere's leaving, he's like, "When am I going to see you again?" And it's like, "It'll be soon, Aaron." And he goes, "Well, well, tell Miss Janet I hope That's her it. neck's all right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, "I hope her neck's all right." That's right. And then he walks out and he turns around and then. Well, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was, it's, it's so good. And the clap was, uh, Norton put that in himself. Yeah. That was not scripted. And so he, you know, Gear comes back around and says, like, wait, wait, what? You just said her neck. And then he's. He's like, you always black out. You don't yeah. remember when you're Roy. Right. He admits, first Roy admits to killing his girlfriend and oh, the yeah. Archbishop. Yeah, he tells him, he says, Linda. yeah, I killed him. Yeah, he's I killed, like, killed Linda. Well, he goes through the whole thing. He, about killed, he, he, he says, I killed Linda because she was a whore and she deserved it. But killing the archbishop, cutting up that archbishop was a work of art. Yeah, yeah. And then Marty's like, so there never was a Roy? He's like, no, idiot, there was never an Aaron. There was never an Aaron. Yeah. And Richard Gere walks out, and we have a little bit too long of like a top view of Richard Gere's head that probably Mm -hmm. could end it, because I don't know where he goes. He like walks around for like two miles. Well, but he walks outside. But see, I think it's perfect. 
Because I think as a viewer... I'm fine. We didn't need any more dialogue after that. No. That was a great ending. Right, because the the temptation is to wrap something up and to do something else with it. But that's perfect because you know what's happened. And now you're looking at Richard Gere, who is basically the central figure in this movie in terms of character development and where he's going and all this. And so he's standing there. And so what do you think he's thinking? Like, I think there's two potential things mm-hmm. that he's thinking when he's standing there. What do you think? What, do you have an opinion? I absolutely do. And this is what actually makes the movie really great. Beyond all the other stuff that we've talked about, is this movie from the second it starts builds Richard Gere up as a super lawyer. Um, you know, arrogant, egotistical. There's a lot of flaws in the script and all that kind of stuff we talked about. But at the end of the day... He gets, he's fooled everybody else throughout right. his career. He's been the best. He's come up with the one-liners in, in courtroom. He's gotten himself, you know, gotten mm-hmm. people off. He gets fooled, and you know he ain't going to tell a soul. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's totally right. I think the most likely thinking is I'm the best lawyer in Chicago. I win every case, case I try. I outsmart everybody. I just outsmarted everybody in the courtroom. But I got smarted by the hillbilly from Kentucky. What the what? I am, and I will never admit to it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And I also think that the, you can play into that. The second one is because he does talk a little bit about sort of his philosophy about the law and everybody deserving a fair chance, and even if you're guilty, you deserve great representation and all of this stuff. And he sit there and, and he bought into this guy and he represented him with everything he had. And in the end. Not only was he guilty, but he was manipulated by this guilty guy. So, I, and, I, and he did it pro bono. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And there's no checks. <laughs> he didn't get paid one dime, for right? This. Uh, no, and, and, but I, I think that's what you know. I once the movie was over, there were parts that were kind of a slog. But once the movie was over, I was like, oh, I'm just glad I watched it again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it, 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 it really the way it came together and. Yeah, like I said, I don't know how many endings just blow my mind away like mm-hmm. that. Because mm-hmm. it was just not not expected at all. Right, right. Well, and that's that's kind of the beauty of a lot of that uh, courtroom drama from that era, or car- courtroom dramas in general, if they're not a historical sort of a thing, is like it's all tied into some sort of a twist at the end a lot of times. And mm-hmm. so um, I agree with you. I think the ending is fantastic. Um, and and one, of the, one of the better endings you can see. Yeah, no, and, and and if you haven't seen this movie ever before, of course we've completely spoiled it for you, right? Now. Um, but you probably have. Uh, but like I said, even knowing what was going to happen at the end, watching the second time, just the delivery of it was was top mm-hmm. notch. Yeah, it was it was really well acted, well directed, and everything about it was great. So so you know we we usually we talk about like what this movie or that we're discussing like what it was up against at that time just yeah. to kind of get some context. Yeah. So this was 96. 96. So what that, was going on in 96? So 96 it, it 96 was an awesome year for movies and yet uh this heinous film called The English Patient won the best picture. Huh. Right. And um you know, other movies that year were things like Sling Blade and Fargo and Jerry Maguire. And if you want some action, The Rock and Independence Day. And it was, again... All like, that was in 96? All that was 96. Wow. It was a really, really good year for movies. Um, so, and Ed, well, Norton lost, Ed, Ed Norton lost the Oscar to Cuba Gooding Jr. That's fair. I think it's fair. That's fair. I think it's fair, but I'm just just throwing out there that, that what was what was there, you know. I mean, I, I think the performance Ed Norton had was better, but Cuba, yeah. you know, show me the money. That's still iconic. Twenty well, years later. So, so that year, the best supporting actor nominees were Ed Norton, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., William H Macy for Fargo, James Woods for Ghosts of Mississippi, and then there was good something good. else that I hadn't seen, and I just Ghosts of Mississippi was good. Was really good. Yeah, Gene so, Hackman, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was. I mean, so you know that supporting actor cast is strong. Yeah, English patient one. Un- do, you, do you think that was a split vote thing? I, so let me tell you this. I think that if, the artistic that the, the the people that actually like like good movies and, and Oscar quality good movies because that was a pretty good list mm-hmm. that the, that vote got split up and then your art house people kind of like pulled English patient through. I do. I think that's right, and I think that. In an era now where you can have up to ten movies, and the way that they tabulate ballots, I don't think the English Patient could win in that field. 
Right. In in, in modern times, I don't think that would happen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, that was what was going on there. Um. Great movies in '96. I want to go back to the the best courtroom dramas because I did kind of an informal poll of some friends of the show and asked about their favorite courtroom dramas, and I got some interesting responses. Um, my cousin Vinny was overwhelmingly high up on the list, mm-hmm. as was A Time to Kill. Um, you know, a couple other interesting ones, In the Name of the Father, which I had kind of forgotten about, but that's a great movie. Um, a movie that I had forgotten was kind of a courtroom movie was the original Miracle on 34th Street. And that sequence where they bring in all the mail and dump it on the desk is kind of a mic drop Hollywood gold moment. Uh, I can check that one out. Yeah, so, you know, um, Kramer versus Kramer... Um, the firm. That's one of my very favorites. The firm is one of my very, very favorite uh-huh. courtroom movies. Um, so, I, like I said earlier, I like a few good men. I know it's military courtroom. Yes, and I, a few good men is a great one. That's one of my favorites too. No. Um, so you know, I put those all in that that list. But, but I, I still, I, 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 I don't want to go watch another courtroom drama right now. Yeah, I, I just there's something about the genre, and maybe it was just because. As I mentioned, I'm not a huge Richard Gere fan. Laura Linney, I like her, but I, I thought this role was not great. Um, courtroom drama, it just, you know, I I, I, I want to do something else after this movie. Right. Well, I yeah. get that. Yeah. And, and, I, and again, I don't think this is the best one. And I think that in that era, in the John Grisham era, this movie to me is kind of John Grisham light. Because his the movies that were made out of his books were a little bit more taut. The plot was a little bit more seamless. The there were not as many incidentals that were unnecessary, right? And so, I like I said, I I, I would call this like a John Grisham light. Yeah, I, I could I could I could edit this movie down to like one twenty one twenty easily, yeah, yeah. and it was two ten. Yeah, yeah, it, it just just too much. It, but that's what you would expect from a, a drama guy that is filling you know thirteen hours of TV every season. And to be fair, his first ever directing role right. in a major film. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, overall, I mean, what do you give it? I'd give it a B. Yeah, I, I, I'll give it a B, though I will will asterisk it with the Ed Norton performance, like, totally A+. Plus. Yes, I agree and with that. And we're watching the movie for that. Right. And, well, and without Ed Norton's performance, it probably drops to a B- minus or something like well, maybe that. Or a C. C. Yeah. Maybe even a C. Yeah, maybe a C. Maybe even because, a C. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If, if, if I played that role... Maybe a D. <laughs> D plus. Don't sell yourself short, man. Don't sell yourself short. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, it's... Yeah, the, it's it, was, it was a movie built around... And there are movies that are like this all the time. Yeah. That are, 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 are carried completely by one person's excellent performance. Mm-hmm. And I also think that we're kind of conditioned now to kind of look for the twist... And kind of think about like what's what's this curveball? Like I wonder if people watched this movie today who had never seen it. If we showed it to a bunch of twenty year olds, if they would see the twist coming or not? Because I think we're more cynical, and mm-hmm. I wonder about that. Well, we'll do a case study. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Get all the kids together. Okay, guys. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. not going to like this, but you're going to have to watch a movie. Yeah, yeah. We'll just tell them how Richard Gere was the sexiest man alive. That's right. Years ago. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. uh, uh, would you watch it again? Yeah, I'd watch it again. When? Uh, not tomorrow, but I'd watch it again. Like I, like I said, I'd watch it again if uh, if the kids wanted to watch it, or um, maybe I don't know, five years down the road or something. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm never going to watch it again, but I don't have any interest in watching it again anytime soon. No, no. I I, I could watch like, it, like this is one of those movies that you could take the parts that are really good, Ed Norton parts. And yeah. like probably add and like you could skim this down to like a twelve minute YouTube video, and I would get the same satisfaction out of it, except for I get an hour and a half well, of my time back. Well, if I caught it on TV at the right spot, I'd watch the spot and then be like, okay, cool, I'm gonna go check on something else, right? But like you said, that and to your point, like the Ed Norton stuff, the best scenes in this movie are worthy of watching again. Yeah. yeah. Um. Quickly before we wrap, I don't know if you caught this in the middle of it when they were showing news reports about the murder and all this. Did you see 1996 Lester Holt when he was the news anchor in Chicago? I did not catch that. So Lester Holt um, was an anchor for a major station in Chicago at that time. And so they used they used a real quick, quick clip of him. Just go back and look. 1996 Lester Holt mustache. It is impressive. I'm just telling you. He is... I mean, it's it's like Billy D. Williams quality or something. It's really good. 
Now, Richard Gere, has he ever worn a mustache in a movie? Not one that I've seen, uh, but I'm not sure about that. Do you know? I, I know. I can't think of anything I off the top of my head. Either. I don't know either. Yeah, well, you know, not all of us can grow facial hair. That's, you know? I guess that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So, basically a B. We both love Ed Norton in this, and um, we would recommend that if you've never seen it. But hey, 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 what do we got coming up next? We got a holiday coming up next, don't we? So next one, guys, uh, we're getting into fall. We're going to do a little Halloween special, and uh, we're going to get our spook on and watch uh, a classic um, Halloween film. Will you record your screeches during the movie? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think I'm going to do a little uh, fancy fun intro music or something for that one that's a little bit spookier. It will not be Monster Mash, I promise you guys that. (laughs) Um yeah, so anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks for um, all your support. Look for us, all social media platforms. We, www.isthatmoviestillgood.com, Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, all those places. Uh, hit us up if you have suggestions. We're still working through what's going to happen in early 2020 and trying to make those decisions. So we appreciate everything you guys have done uh, to help support us, and uh, we look forward to making more quality content. Also, we would like to mention that no gerbils were harmed in the recording of this podcast. We'll see you guys next time.